Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the shift. For any new listeners or viewers, uh, this is a dating relationship sex podcast and sometimes just a chat. Full episodes will always be on the Patreon a week early and bonus episodes as well. So Patreon is forward slash the shift podcast and please rate, review, all of that. And um, we'll be adding new segments. So I'm going to ask each guest what gives them the ick, uh, what's their best dating advice. And if you have any advice you want or any scenarios that you want us to talk about in the podcast we'll do that as well if you don't we'll read off some reddit ones but other than that thank you so much and welcome to the shift this week's guest is Lekirk Andre you guys have heard him already twice in the space of a four-year podcast so for anybody viewing this now I know there's only a few episodes here but uh all the rest of the episodes are on Spotify Apple and all of that and the rest of the videos are on my Patreon so if you want to go back and see it's actually very exciting because with you Leclerc, uh you've been on when you told us about how you originally met your wife and how you kind of weren't ready for a relationship. And then when you met her again, you were like, I'm not going to miss out on her. She's amazing. Uh, and then you came back on when you had just, I think, had your baby. And now you're back on and you're about to have your second baby. Oh, my God. It's like following. <laughs> this is like as if there was like three books. OK, we are following your relationship. You are getting more and more successful. But also it's interesting because I feel like because you have a family now so you've you've gotten a house and everything but you're also like one of the harder hardest working comedians I know because even though it, you are so super successful you're also like trying to work for your kids so you're like the only comic that I know that's working all of the clubs killing it and then is like I'm getting up at 6am to drive a truck across the country <laughs> yeah. uh, which is absolutely amazing uh, you're, a, you're a great dad <laughs> thanks yeah I actually I'm only having kids so I can be on the podcast again that's uh, <laughs> every time <laughs> yes <laughs> that's my strategy <laughs> you, you are um, uh, all of my friends from Ireland uh, like they just have a, a massive attraction to you sorry to rat any of the girls out but every year on my birthday, we'll put up a picture and they're always like, there's our guy. There's our guy. And every time I'm like, "Was he is a girlfriend. He is married. He has kids. Calm down. But they're all out of the country. So, which I'm pretty much sure if they also saw your wife, they'd also be like, there's our girl. Because she's go-. You're like, the- <laughs> your family is so beautiful. I've said this to you before, Thank but you. it's like the family in a picture frame you buy. Like if I came over to your house and I just saw the pictures, I would think it was like a house that was being shown. <laughs> you know, and that these aren't the, that's not the real family. You're like the most beautiful. You're both so tall. Your daughter's gorgeous. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah. And obviously lovely people as well. <laughs> yeah, on the inside. We're, we're not so bad on the inside too. Your wife is amazing because I remember when I saw her just after you had had... What's your daughter's name again? Maya. Maya. I was thinking, but then I was like, don't fuck this up. Don't yeah. say the wrong name. Just ask Katie. <laughs> Maya, what a beautiful name. Um, but I, when I saw her just after she'd had Maya and she's like, like snapped right back. And then she's just like, yeah, I just did a little bit. And even before she was like working in a bar and a full-time teacher yeah. like also very hard working and yeah just like killing it yeah my wife's a hustler man yeah. she works so hard she's where i get my like work ethic from now at this stage of my life because when i first met her she was working like three jobs she was bartending she was teaching full-time she was babysitting whenever that came up and she was just like working her ass off and i was like just doing comedy full-time for a long time and then like things got serious we got married we started having a family and i was this is like during the pandemic so i was like man she was hustling so hard let me hustle harder so i started like i picked up a day job just so i can like make sure that we had like good insurance a nice pension all these things and then while i was doing that like my comedy career like kept getting better and better. So it's just been like one of the things where I draw so much inspiration from her because she's such a hard worker and she's so driven that now it's like, 
kind of like a competition with myself. I'm like, nah, she she can't outwork me. I'm gonna out, I'm gonna be the hard worker in this family. So it's great. That's um that's so funny because I feel like that's a bit definitely in my family. I don't know if it's like an Irish thing, but you know, uh, a big part of like your being good or having a good identity definitely part of my dad's identity because he's like a like a superintendent uh i'm gonna say the the wrong thing and he's gonna get mad at me but like i think a super like he's the he's the boss of a county and then he also grows his own vegetables he also breeds horses the man doesn't know how to relax so like my big thing was always having to like work so fucking hard that if i actually was with someone who worked harder than me it would give me an identity crisis and i would probably <laughs> burn myself out <laughs> whereas being with my boyfriend now he's very he's a gamer which i've never even thought i would ever end up with like someone who's just half like i'll go out and drink maybe sometimes and he's like i'm just gonna stay home and play video games which is totally fine but right. he's very relaxed he takes his time he's like he's in no pressure he 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 just has a very healthy work ethic that's not too much whereas mine's probably a bit too much yeah but it actually pulls me down a little bit it does the opposite of you where i'm i even said to him he's been away and i he was like i'm getting more work done that i'm not here and i'm like yeah yeah (laughs) maybe i'm like probably doing a bit too much but i'm also like oh no i think when he comes back that i need to start going to coffee shops or something just but it, it is interesting how yeah your partner definitely but also maybe there's a bit of guilt too. I'd feel guilty if my partner was working like crazy hard all the time. I'd, I'd have to be like, no, no, me too, me too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm at home, I can't relax because as soon as my dad walks in, I'm like, should I dust this, <laughs> this <Yeah>. window? <laughs> no, I feel the same way, especially when your job is to be a comedian. Oh my, if, you're, if your partner does anything that like requires t- attention or is physical in any way and they come home like, man, I had a tough day repairing elevators. And you're like, what'd you do today? It's like, oh. I, I bombed on stage. Whoop. You know, tomato, tomato. It's like, it's not the same. So when she has a rough day at work, it's like a refresher. It's, it's a good reminder like, hey, people have real jobs. People work really, really hard. Uh, and it makes me that much more grateful to have like comedy as something that I can call a career. Absolutely. And I think with comedy, when you start to live off it, which most people are like, they never understand. I got some comment on one of my um, Instagram videos recently. And he was like, how are you... Uh, something like wh- how are you surviving in New York um, like how do you get paid and mm. then I wrote back comedy hmm. but like they were just so their mind was so blown that I could live off comedy And but I think the thing is when you, you get to a certain point where you're struggling for so long yeah. but then you get to that point where it all starts paying off and you kind of are like like for me I keep working really hard because I don't know when that could drop back down Yeah. but I'm also at a point now where it's like that's crazy that I'm getting this much to make you laugh, which is like lovely. And it's not even that much compared to other comedians. But I do think in reality, it's like, okay, yeah, I could have been working at a bar, running around or whatever. And now I'm getting that same amount for just like, you know, an hour of comedy, which is just kind of crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's the dream. People, yeah, people always talk about like, oh, what do you want to do? And it's like, when you start making any type of money in comedy, no matter how small it is, you realize like, this is it. Like it, it starts with a drink ticket, right? It starts with something <laughs> so small, like a Venmo of five bucks or whatever. But then you start realizing, hey, this is like the, your, your growth, your your potential income is really up to you. Yes. So that's something that like I try to remind myself. It's like you're you're where you're at because of the work that you put in. So. For me, I think a lot of comics deal with this is that we don't think that we deserve the next step or the next bonus or the next big lump of cash. But once we once you like once you start believing in yourself, it's like, oh, no, if, if so and so can do it, I can definitely do it. Right. Then, like, you'll start getting I remember when I first started getting like real money in comedy. It felt like I was cheating. Yeah. <laughs> right? You ever get paid for something that's like, oof, I don't know. I even find that with like, now that I've been headlining, uh, I kind of feel like, especially I sp- more with me, I do a lot of uh, one-nighters. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, so I it's heard. not even club-based. You heard? <laughs> yeah, I'm so that's like I'm slutty. <laughs> <laughs> that was the old Katie, okay? I'm in my 30s now. <laughs> I'm a one-man. Right. He's lucky if he gets a one-nighter in a week, okay? <laughs> but um, So for the listeners, like a one-nighter is sometimes... You'll just go to a place, do your headline, and uh, you make like a kind of a deal with the room. Right. Um, and so it's very different to a club where a club has a set pay for an opener, which uh, at this stage, I always feel like it's not also great what they pay. The op- so I feel there's a lot of guilt for me. And I'll be like, OK, but I'm getting this much. 
um, but I should really pay the opener this much. But then I'm like, no, this is my audience and I've, I'm doing an hour and I have to always be like, okay, don't feel guilty into giving someone else too much either. But what I feel like I struggle a bit with that, you know, whereas that's a bit of imposter syndrome too. Cause it's like, or also just because I, I did so many gigs where they didn't pay me at all, but I was just so happy to get the experience yeah. that, and now I'm paying people like, of course, a, a, a fair amount, but I'm still like, should I give them more? Should I get them a dinner? Should I do, you know, and I like start like being like, no, this is on me. This is, and I'm like, okay, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, that's a tough, that's a tough uh, negotiation to have. Right. Yeah. Because you, we all like when you're doing comedy, you know what it's like to open, you know what it's like to feel like you're being underpaid. Yeah. Uh, and then it's always, it's so hard not to count other people's money. Right. So yeah. as an opener, it's like, Oh, I know the headline is probably making X, Y, and Z, but that's really not what you're there for. You're not there to worry about how much the headline is getting paid the only thing you should worry about is your performance and how it stacks up with everybody if you're gonna be competitive don't be competitive about money be competitive about your performance like yeah and like it's important for us i think i i'm I'm one way i'm kind of glad that i did learn you know not to be cheap either because i feel like there is a mild now that i'm like uh, at the level of those comics who didn't pay and I'm so grateful for the experience but I'm also kind of like okay it's cheap <laughs> 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 I see you yeah. Um, so yeah but it was funny because my friend recently she asked to come and open to a place which I didn't actually technically need an opener I could have just gone a local but I was like okay yeah come on and then um, you know so I had a certain uh, rate I would pay but I actually gave more because I knew that their flights and then I was like of course I'll cover the hotel and the, the taxes because I would have been doing that anyway and then I was like asking her, like, is this enough? I'm also going to video your. S-. But even though it's so funny because she had asked and she wanted the opportunity. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm also going to tape your set. I'm going to yeah. send it. It's going to be like really high. Qu-. And I, I, it was just funny how you start to feel like, I don't know. You just want to make sure people are looked after. And yeah. that person was like, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. You're fine. And they yeah. got to do and the promoter I was working with got to um, get them in other places. And that's the other thing you have to remember that you're going to get taxed on all as well. So sometimes like I was paying people for getting for years, uh, not years, but let's say like two years at my we- uh, monthly or it turned into a weekly comedy show. I didn't, I forgot that I would be being taxed on it. So I would for pay everything. everybody yeah. equally. And the first year it didn't matter because I didn't make enough like I may only made 600 or something so it was kind of like oh whatever it's fine but then the next year the show turned into weekly and I kind of forgot I hadn't learned that lesson and I was becoming full-time on comedy um and uh yeah and I you know anyway and I'm yeah kind of fucked myself over and I did again this year too anyway but you're also like it kind of it's also like one of my I hate that because it's a because it's a show where people come you know transplants um uh, they just don't make that much money. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't really want to cut off the 20%. And part of me is just like, whatever, I'll take the hit in yeah. the, in the, because I want people to, it's, it's just a strange, it's a strange, nav- but then it's like, oh, I'll make it back on other shows. It's just, a, yeah. The comedy is hard to do when you're living your dream and you're happy and you have a lot of guilt for being alive. <laughs> you, you know what it is? I, I feel like the trick with comics is that we're, we're, we're artists first. And then we have to wear this business hat. And that's where it gets tricky because like you, you, we're, we're, we have this responsibility, right? We have to, we want to put on a good show as a producer, right? Yeah. But now that you're a producer, you also have to think about the finances of the show and what's a fair thing to pay people. And it's just like, it, it's just, it's a foreign space to be in. And also we've also been in the position of the other comics where it's like, man, I'm only getting 10 bucks for this show. They must be making hundreds of dollars off of this show and I'm only getting this. And it's like, you want to be the person who's going to right all the wrongs in comedy, yeah. but we truly can't. The best we can do is try to be fair to everybody. Yeah, what I do, especially when people do transplants, because the comedy club that, that that's in, they don't make a lot of money and so they don't, the split is quite bad. And then, uh, which I totally understand because they are, it's like out of the way, but I've had that show there for forever. Yeah. So what I do now is when I group message people, I tell them the truth. I say, this is how much we make from it, which right. is like really hard to get to that point where mm-hmm. we make any money. But uh, I will split everything. And sometimes it's only for a coffee. And then sometimes it might be one of those good ones where like it, it worked out well that everybody did pay the $15 instead of like using the discount code or gotcha. enough people came yeah. and I might be able to pay them 10 or 20. But I do say... um just a heads up and then the day of I let them know how many people are coming so they can get an idea of it so they know the financials straight away if they want to bail 
Uh, and then I always say, do new material at it. So you tell them that. Yeah, yeah I say this is something that I've started doing because I didn't realize my friend who has the same cut out at that show, a comic gave out to her for not getting paid enough. And then she had to explain. And then I was like, oh, OK, from now on, I am group messaging. I'm putting that in the group message. This is, you know, the the split, the percentage split so that they know that I'm not like because I think that comic was just kind of going with this you know, oh, it was $15 a ticket, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Not really realizing she had a discount code, not realizing how much the club took straight away. Um, they and also don't have like a, a the type of bar that can bring in extra. They can't do a minimum. Right. It's not like New York Comedy Club or something where they can do a minimum. And right. like the if you produce a show at New York Comedy Club, oh my God, you make so much money. Potentially, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like, um, when I had the Irish guys over, I was able to play them $100 a set um, in just cash in hand because... You know, and uh, never mind. There wasn't Irish people over, um, <laughs> but and it was only fifty people came. But there was a uh, like I think it was like a seventy percent, which was amazing. And then um, after taxes, and then everybody, I was able to make sure everybody got like at least a hundred dollars. So yeah. that was like really amazing, you know. And that's very hard to yeah. But the tick, you know. Anyway, anyway. No, it's a it's people need to know this. Like <laughs> that type of transparency is also very rare in comedy. Where the producer is like, hey, this is how much we're making on the show. This is my cut. This is what I pay all the comics. And that's that. Because uh, yeah. the mystery is what makes it like feel uh, dirty, right? Yeah. When you go to a show and you're like, oh, I'm just doing a head count. It seems like there's probably a thousand people here. Yeah. And they all paid $10,000 to be here. Yeah. Oh, they're probably making so much. So like, for yeah. you to get rid of that mystery, for you to make it like fully, fully transparent, on a show called Transplant is a, <laughs> a great thing to do. I've definitely gotten mad when I've seen how many people have clicked on a ticket link and then seen how many uh, people were coming to the show and how much they were paying me. And I've definitely been like, whoa, wait, you know, and yeah. there is a point where you have to go, no, 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 Jesus, sorry, I didn't, I, you know. So I, it's a hard lesson to learn, but I think for any young comics, when you do start headlining, to find out what the capacity is, what the ticket price is, uh, what your cut is, what the venue is taking in case it's a promoter or a producer and get all of that before you fucking say yes to anything because yeah. they will rob you dry. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's... Anyway, let's get back to sex dating and relationships. <laughs> oh, wait, I don't... I have... Um, I looked up a couple of Reddits that maybe we can read if we want, Um, uh, but I did want to ask you because uh, I've been thinking about this a lot and it was so funny. It actually happened to me on the train over here, but like, what is your ick? And I'll give you an example of my ick okay. is men with long nails. <laughs> and so I was on the train and I do think like I love when men give up their seat uh, to women or older people and I me personally I always I'm there was an older woman on the train and as soon as I saw her I got up and she was like no 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 and I think she just I didn't want to like question her independence or her whatever so I was like oh no my back is really sore from um, sitting down you'd be doing me a favor so then she sat down but that's a very Irish thing you know mm. like you're like but I feel like I don't see that as much in New York right. and um, today there was like a lot of elder women standing up and this guy jumped on and sat down and I was like you fucking prick <laughs> and then he was covered in paint and I was like a fucking artist as well and I used to be an artist so yeah. I don't know why I had this like oh yeah you gotta go paint after this <laughs> um, and then uh, he, uh, he he took out his hand and he had a long nail and then he started like sucking his <laughs> finger I can't oh my god I, I literally would I could not be with a guy if he had that's I could just he, he'd be like saying the loveliest things and if I looked at his hands I'd be like actually I have to go you know <laughs> I don't I don't so much care as a guy I don't so much care about the length of the nails of but course like, not that's a very feminine thing yeah, to have long nails but dirty fingernails get the fuck out of here like if, <laughs> if I ever saw a person they look like they've been <laughs> they clawed themselves out of a grave. I'm like, what is happening? What, is, what are you doing? Were you yeah. buried alive? What's going on? Yeah, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I have I have too many icks to name. I feel like uh, I'm very particular about a lot of things. Most of them are like hygiene based. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have a whole lot of icks. But my biggest like relationship type of ick are people who, uh, oh, this is going to piss a lot of people off, but people yes. who engage in uh, arguments like, in bad faith like you know out the gate that they're not being earnest with whatever position that they're taking they're just being disagreeable and i just cannot deal with that yeah i think that you know that's so interesting i think um that happens a lot when someone's like recreating whatever trauma in their childhood like very defensive right or because yeah i think in a relationship if you say 
um because i've had to do this myself with with leland if he's like hey can you do the dishes later mm. my automatic is like does he not think i do enough and i go <laughs> i literally go i do have this conversation in my head i go obviously not you asked him to do the dishes it's not a big deal yeah and i do that work in my head and mm. um, but that just comes from being like a kid where you're always in trouble for nothing and it's like he's not um so then i'll just go okay yeah. well i feel like you know maybe when i was younger i would have been like what do you mean and they would have been like and it would have been like a big thing but yeah. uh but i do think that comes from a very like defensiveness comes from a i guess in that regard is that what you mean where they get very defensive or no i mean like you ever just have kind of arguey person yeah sometimes it's one thing to disagree but it's also a, a completely different thing to be disagreeable right yeah. so let's say i say to you hey um uh, why do you always leave the light on? That for that's a very confrontational way to ask a question, right? So that's like a sign of a disagreeable person. Where or whereas I can oh. say to you like, hey, um, I've noticed the light's been being left on. I think I do it every, every once in a while. But I think you do it. Can we like work on making sure we turn off the light? That's far less accusatory and far less uh, confrontational of a way of presenting something. But what I mean specifically by like people having bad faith arguments is when they'll ask you a question and you think that they're asking because uh, they want to get to know you better, but they're really doing it to undermine whatever the argument is about, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say we're having an argument about uh, women's rights, right? Okay. And I'm like, hey, can you tell me about a time where you've been disenfranchised because you're a woman? And then you tell me a story that uh, is meaningful to you, right? But I'm only listening to the story to say in response, that wasn't so bad, right? So I'm not asking in good faith. I'm not asking because I care about your story and because I want to show compassion. I'm asking because I want to straw man whatever uh, experience you've had. And I've, I've noticed that when you engage with people like that, they're not in it for any type of meaningful discussion. They're not trying to show empathy. They're not trying to grow in this conversation. They're just trying to show that their point of view is better and truthful and your point of view is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. No, I cannot, I can even be friends with people like that. It, yeah. A, it's exhausting. For sure. Because you're always in a trap. Right. And you also don't feel heard, right? Yeah. You're like, man, this person's asking me about my experience as a woman. They must care about my me as a person, right? And then as soon as you say, yeah, and then he... He put this in my drink and I felt awful. And then he, the first thing he says is, well, why'd you leave your drink out? It's like, oh, you don't care about me. You're yeah. just like trying to be a dick. So yeah. that's those are people that you have to be like really, really cautious of. And I find that it's easy to get lulled into this like sense of comfort when people start asking those type of inquisitive questions. It's like, so how did that make you feel? And it's like, it made me feel like this. And they're only asking because they have a rebuttal. They already have something. They have an idea that they just want to express. And they're just using you as a tool to get to that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I do not like that. I would not want to be in a relationship with a person like that. That's yeah. It's so gross, right? It's, it's so, so manipulative. It's so manipulative. And then the problem with that is you have to then be ready to argue all these, well, I shouldn't have to worry about my drink or right. I shouldn't have to worry about what I wear or what I got to hold my drink up to my mouth uh, for right. the rest of the night. You know, <laughs> it, is, right. it is exhausting. And it's also so dishonest because they know, like when people, a lot of men, when they argue about like, since we're talking about it, since when they argue about like things that women experience and they're playing devil's advocate, they're not being truthful. Like most men know that like things that women experience can be more difficult than the things that men experience. They know. So when they're being combative like that, yeah. you know that this, it's not coming from an honest place. Right. Yeah. You know that when women say, oh, I get kind of fearful when I'm taking the train late at night in New York City. And they're like, well, why are you taking the train that late? And it's like. So you don't take the train that late? He's like, I do, but... And it's like, you're not being honest. You're not being honest about the things that you're truly witnessing and what the reality of living in New York City is. It's very strange to me that people do this. You know, if it's um, men on women, if it's uh, white people on minorities, right. if it's any of these situations, um, to, to deny an experience that you can never truly understand or yeah. feel. Um, and I think... Uh, What's the point in that? Because it's like, why? Why do you need to do that? Do you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's say with the men and the, no, it's not that bad. Not all men are, blah, 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 right. or whatever. Like, firstly, with women and being killed by men in the world, you have statistics. I remember dating right. a guy and he was like, that's not true. It was so funny because I was like, actually, 
you know, they have statistics that you're more likely, you know, uh, you get women get murdered by pe- men they know. Right. And it, this guy ended up being totally psychotic, by the way. So it makes sense that he surprise, was... Surprise, surprise. Yeah. yeah. Very aggressive, man. Yeah. Uh, but, it, yeah, I don't understand why you would rather just pretend, like gaslight a whole people. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense because it's not real. Uh yeah, I don't understand it. And I think that maybe comes back down to their own defensiveness because maybe they know that they are one of those bad guys that I, they should be entitled to have put a, put a pill in your drink and have sex with you. Right. You know, like, why would you argue other oh, girls should mind their drink? Unless you're thinking, well, if I get a chance, I should be allowed to put a pill in it. Right. It's just, that's the only logical. Or, you know, um, I think when like... Let's say when like white Americans get really mad when minorities are trying to talk about their cause and they're getting defensive and stuff, but they they don't they've never experienced that, so they just because they think it's not real because it's their, not their experience, right? Which is like that's crazy. That'd be like me going, football's not real, American football's not real because I've never played it, right? It doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't make any sense, but also there's so many tells, right? It's so obvious when people are coming from those places because they should be approaching those conversations with curiosity. Yeah. Anytime I have a discussion with a person and I don't understand where they're coming from, I always approach it with genuine, earnest curiosity, yeah. right? But I've had conversations with people and they're like telling me about the black experience. Having never worked with black people, having never lived in a black community, having never gone to a black school, having never dated a black person, they, they don't even have any close black friends. So they're like, I just don't understand why black families. It's like, you don't understand black people. So the fact that you think you're even qualified to have these conversations is completely like asinine to me. It's it's so absurd. But it's also one of those things where I also have to be mindful that I shouldn't necessarily engage with every person who wants to have a conversation like that. Right. It's also on me to say to identify like, oh, this person is not coming from a good place. They're not, they don't truly care about black people. So why am I going to even engage with them to begin with? Absolutely. So, and they're just looking for an argument. And Yeah. Well, well, they're also trying to absolve themselves from any guilt that they feel yeah. like society is putting on them. So, so interesting because I find that, and I did want to write a joke about it. I have been trying to figure it out, but how uh, as Irish people were born guilty and I come <laughs> over and I see white Americans have just started to feel guilty since BLM and yeah. they are they are not they are gross with their guilt you know what i mean it's like because they don't realize they put it on you guys to educate them they're like trying to really be like no no no, i haven't done anything wrong i don't feel anything wrong uh but i love you and it's just like very like oh you're not handling your guilt okay (laughs) you know and they they, they're very like babies with guilt or something it's it's and i guess because they maybe they're realizing that they have benefited from a system for so long so all of a sudden their eyes are open maybe for certain but it's just a it's just interesting to see as an outsider it's very similar to like ever see a guy get caught cheating yeah. right they go through all those emotions first they gaslight like oh racism not that bad oh slavery was so long ago it's like oh i cheated on you months ago i don't know why you're mad about it right now so it's very those behaviors are very consistent yes. with a person who's just caught doing something terrible um and also it takes so much of effort on their part to come to an honest space of understanding yeah. and a lot of white americans honestly would rather not and I get that because why would they have to, right? Especially if you live in an all-white community, especially if you, you're comfortable with your life and the way things are going, why would you have to deal with something that is another person's problem? And many white Americans think that racism is black people's problem, which is crazy. That's like saying rape is women's problems. If men are the people like perpetrating it, then it's a men it's a man's problem it's something that men need to deal with i don't think that's something that i don't think it's fair to say hey women should work on ways to prevent it's like nah men should probably be <laughs> raised better and and we should have more conversation amongst men about that issue exactly we like saying all women should just wear uh, no like fully clothed <laughs> yeah or like it'd be like saying um uh, yeah, that women can't, that it's not men's fault that women are so sad. You know what I mean? That's crazy. It's like, no, we should te- treat men not to te- think of women as sexual objects. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the world is doing. So I do 
hope that white Americans also do the work. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's like I think you are. I think you're a hundred percent right. Of course, if it's not in there, they're not realizing. But then, unfortunately, if they don't, then the problem's going to continue. And right. And I think there's probably poor white Americans who are feeling like, well, I didn't benefit. And it's like, if you think you didn't benefit, imagine the people who are are benefiting underneath. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what they're not. But there's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of. There's a lot of stuff. I must share an article in the description. I thought it was really good because it was um, white women. If you feel, uh, you know, that you're you were getting a lot of like shade or whatever or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was like the article compared to how you feel when you say all men. Mm. Like, of course, it's not all men, but right. it's majority men. And, and you say it. You say all men do this, all men do that. So that's what we're saying when we're saying white women. We're not saying all, all of you, but like majority. And you need to, you, need, you know, don't you want men to listen when you're complaining about men, even right. if it's to a, you know, so you need to do this. I thought the article was like, I was like, what, this is on point. I don't know yeah. how I found it. I was just like going through like, sometimes I see something on TikTok and then I like to, and that's the other thing. You like to educate yourself because we're not going to, you're not going to know everything. You're not going to, I can never understand it, but I can read people's experiences or yeah. it, it, try my best. Right. I, I think that you're a compassionate person. So I think it makes it easier for a person like you to lend your curiosity and lend your heart and your, your ears to issues that might not directly impact you. Or it could be lending your ear to things that uh, you benefit from. Uh, and that's a tough, some, that might be tough for some people to, to have a real conversation about uh, the ways they benefit culturally from things that oppress or disenfranchise other people. It yeah. also, especially if you're like a prideful guy, it's, it's also hard to listen to people say that you benefit when you feel, when you take pride in where you are in life because of your hard work and efforts. It's yeah. hard to hear another person say, uh, well, you know, it might be partially a little bit because you were born into a good family and you're a white person and you have a white name and you're a man. That might play into the fact that uh, your fraternity brother got your recommendation for that law firm. Yeah. Uh, and and you're like, no, I got good grades. It's like, all right, yeah, you did get good grades as well. But And it should be okay to just be like honest with that. My mom immigrated here, uh, you know, back in, the, I think, the 70s, uh, and they were letting... Our, our attitude towards immigration has changed so much. It's it's really crazy because in the 70s and 80s, they were really pushing to get immigrants in here. I think all Americans, not, not just Democrats, not just Republicans, understood the value that immigrants add to our culture and, of course, our economy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as, uh, as of recent years, man, our attitude towards immigra immigrants uh, has changed so much. The fact that we call them illegals is like wild. To I know me. it's crazy, and and I'm sorry to the listeners if I've I've said this before because this is something I feel very strongly about. But like, well, uh, firstly, if if let's say you're looking at uh, immigrants that they fly that they fly in that they give the visa for, right? Uh, and uh, they need those jobs filled. So right. there is a lot of people that I know here that are PhD students. Mm -hmm. You know, we know Chansu. Um, there's a couple of Irish people I know that are PhD that they get the visa here because they have the PhD. But people can't afford to be PhD students here. Right. They can't even afford to fucking get a regular college degree. Yeah. So you actually, since your college is sitting on all this fucking money and people can't get a can't get can't afford to get a PhD, you actually have to fly immigrants in. Yeah. So it's strange that they're anti immigrant but they are actually consistently flying them in. And those immigrants they have, they actually still don't even treat that well because I know for like all my friends who have PhDs here are actually struggling to live here. And a lot of them will probably end up going back to Ireland or the UK because it's actually not affordable to live on what they're being paid. Then secondly, um, when, during the pandemic, a lot of them couldn't go home because of the visa they were on. They were stuck here for two years in a kind of like, let's see. So they don't even treat the ones that are flying in very well. And then during the pandemic, we wouldn't have fucking, America wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for undocumented immigrants. And it's fucking horrible that they had to do, they were out working, they were the ones uh, getting the fruit and the veg for the country, which is awful that they were even having to do that. But the fact that you're then going to be racist or xenophobic to the people that actually kept you going, that were keeping you going before as well. It's So remember, I, I, we talked about this earlier, but like this idea that bad faith arguments happen only in relationships. I really like, I feel like our immigration policy is like a, the best example of bad faith conversations that are mm -hmm. happening in politics, right? Mm -hmm. Because people, the people pushing for uh, illegals, deportations, and like 
this idea that we have to secure our border, oftentimes they benefit the most from uh, illegal immigration. Yes. And those same people aren't working to make uh, make leg- like this process to have yep. get visas and to get a green card and to become like you know certified regular Americans to to be legalized. They're not working in, in that area. They're just working to secure the border. But the only way we're going to have a secure border is if they have options to become legal Americans. And Absolutely. if we have to make a pathway for them. Yeah. There used to be so many, um, there used to be so many uh, programs that would allow people to become citizens, whether it's referrals. And there were, there were a lot of programs where like your family members could become legal citizens of the United States. Uh, and they don't, they just don't exist like that anymore. Yeah. They've made it impossible for people to like do it the right way, and then they're criminalizing people who are doing it. You know. Oh no, a hundred percent. And I think um, if they if they let people, let's say if they were like, because if I was the owner of America, <laughs> I mean, I owned and it's a dictatorship, and you guys have no say. If you're the owner of America, yeah, so I'm the owner, you, I'm a dictator. Were, if you're a bank. Um, yeah, um, no, I'm a dictator. I've I've run the country. I've taken yeah. over. My rebellion forces have come, and we're making decisions. Firstly, yeah. everybody who is undocumented would get automatic documentation, um, and then I would give it for free. But let's say if America did do that, the reasons why it would be good is because it is ten grand to get a green card, and let's say you put in a system where they can pay over years. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, so you're you're still getting money into the country because they'll be working. They're legally working. They're able to pay for it. They're uh, paying taxes because uh, right, but they don't want to do that because right now undocumented immigrants are paying taxes on dead people's because I know a lot of Irish people are doing that paying taxes on dead people's social security numbers so they're already getting the fucking taxes because um, they need a social security number to get a job uh, and then you they're being taken advantage of so they want undocumented immigrants and for the people then undocumented immigrants who don't have a, who don't use a social security number they're getting paid fucking pennies and they're not getting a break they're doing crazy so these systems don't want them because they're able to take advantage of these people they have they can't go to anybody over abuse if it's work abuse, sexual abuse, whatever. So yeah, it's just crazy to me that you wouldn't set up a system because they're already in. And then and then here's the other thing: what jobs are they taking away from you? None of you want to fucking do the jobs. <laughs> none of you want to work in the kitchen. Yeah. Okay, there's a reason why the kitchen are all that and stuff. And none of you, if you're honest, none of you want to be bartender till four a.m. There's a reason why. <laughs> and Irish people are like chatty and have the crack. Yeah. None of you want to do that. So um, and then all the other jobs, the jobs you know that are out in the field, none of you want to do that either. And I feel like as well, there's like so many layers that they don't know about immigration. Like, okay, you might look at my friends who have a PhD um, and be like, oh, well, they're so lucky they got a PhD and they can come in here. It, they don't have a survivable wage. And secondly, they're actually not allowed work anywhere else or they'll lose their vi- uh, visa. So they're put in a weird position where they're doing things like science that could cure cancer one day, but they're actually not able to afford fully to be here and then they're not able to bartend on the weekends they, yeah. if they do it they have to do it on the sly so I, I i think that the whole system needs to be better but again i don't understand it fully so yeah. dictatorship won't work <laughs> you just have to have a good cabinet i'm a socialist you. yeah are you oh yeah yeah i would say so again not understanding it fully but i would say i never want to i want to be successful and have enough that if i have a kid that they're good they don't need to go to college here they'll go to college in ireland um yeah. So if they want to go to college, but I mean, I don't ever want to have too much. You know, I don't think anybody needs too much. And I think that there is a wealth discrepancy in this country. Yeah. And there's such poor people and healthcare and and everything. And I, I think healthcare should be free. I think college should be free. So that probably makes me a socialist. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, we would have to talk about it longer. But I do think that a lot of Americans have this idea of what socialism is and they don't understand that we already have so many socialist programs that work in America that benefit people uh, with underneath the umbrella of capitalism. I do think that uh, this system that we're in right now just doesn't work. Yeah. I think that American greed is something that uh, is uh, so toxic and yet so appealing to so many people. I think most Americans their dream is to be rich, whereas in a lot of countries, people's dream is to just be successful enough to take care of their family. But this, be I- healthy. yeah, this idea of excessive wealth is something that is so perverted in our culture, where people are like, oh, that's why we idolize these multi-billionaires. There's no reason why people should be looking up to people like Elon Musk and Donald Trump 
if you're just judging them by their character, right? Yeah. The reason why a lot of men look up to them is because they're like, oh, they can buy a yacht. And it's like, all right, but is he a good person? Like, Also, you, if you had enough money that you can uh, once a year go out on a yacht yeah. and rent, like, rent it, why the fuck do you need to buy a yacht? <laughs> and then also for me, um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, like, I mean, you know, my there was like a issue in the family where they were bad with money um mm. you know if, yeah you get it we get oh, it we've yeah. talked about this so uh everything was always like anxiety for me with money and it's made me very careful with my money yeah but also in and that's something as well that i want to make sure that i don't become like i don't want to have anxieties with money either and hold on to it too much but on the other side i only buy things i really love and when i get them i really appreciate them so i kind of like that whole thing of you know getting not having too much because when if you have it in abundance it's not you don't love it so like my apartment is tiny you've seen it it, it would barely fit you but i love my apartment yeah and you know it, it took me so hard to get to that place and otherwise get a boyfriend who has a cheap apartment um, <laughs> but i mean i always was it's the first time that has ever felt like a real home and that's not i think for me if i had a huge house with loads of rooms to clean or rooms that weren't being used, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't ever want to have something that's too big that, that I need, that, you know, live for what I need or whatever. Yeah, I think when you get into the world of excess money where people are just have money that they're forgetting about, I think you people forget how much that money would impact a person's life who has nothing. Mm -hmm. So when I see people who talk about like, mold, like upwards of billions of dollars, they can change cities. They can change people's lives infinitely. Also, they can change entire school systems. They can yeah. change the way people eat in entire communities. Whereas, I mean, that's real impact. So the fact that people have money that they're like forgetting about or they're just letting it compound where they could be putting good work yeah. and good use of it is kind of crazy to me. Oh, absolutely. And there is this hoarding mentality, I think, for their future generations. Now you got this spoiled kit. I don't know. A lot of them don't even have kids. Like a lot of them are just multi-billionaires who are just like they have one wife, maybe one kid. The kid is going to be set with a fraction of their money, fraction. right? Yeah. But they're just sitting on all this wealth. And it's like I've gone to schools that where the books are falling apart. Yeah. I've gone to I've gone to schools where like the indoor basketball courts don't have nets. I'm like, this is wild. Yeah. And these places are so wildly underfunded. And one person can change that. Two people can change that. Yeah. Um, and, and then you have people like Mr. Beast, who's oh, who's yeah. like trying to make a change the way he can make a change. But like we have so many billionaires in this country who could who could not care less about the average American. No, absolutely. And also they need to realize that they are billionaires off other countries that are struggling, that they are uh, taking advantage of or resources, all that stuff. But also um, you said something. And I was like, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. Mental health services are so bad. And specifically in New York, which is quite liberal, we, we can be quite in a bubble. You know, like I'll hear people being like about some issue. And I'm like, oh, I feel like things are pretty progressive now. And then I'm like, oh, wait, never mind. Yeah, I'm in New York, you know, and all the things we talk about, misogyny, other issues, you know, like uh, gay rights, all of that is like not the same as New York. New York is a lovely little liberal bubble. OK, and I feel like uh, uh well, you don't think so? I don't think so, no. Really? Yeah, I don't, I, I mean... I was just going to say with mental health, though, that there are literally people with issues on the train who should be in mental health services, yeah. but the mental health isn't, there's not enough investment, I feel like, in a lot of those services here, so rich people could help with that. But you go back to the, sorry, why it's not as liberal. Well, t well to, to that last point that you made, the, the reason why you're seeing, like... Everything is related, mm -hmm. first of all. So when we talk about the homeless population in New York City, the reason why it's so closely tied into the mental health crisis that we're having right. in New York City is because they shut down all the facilities that were meant to take care of people who have these mental illnesses. Yeah. And they just shut them down and let them loose on the city. So it's rare that you see a homeless person who's just like, down on their luck yeah. they're usually dealing with a drug issue they're dealing with a mental crisis they're dealing with they don't have the pills that they right need. Yeah. or they're veterans unfortunately there's like so much compounded onto these people who are in these unfortunate situations yeah. 
So that's one. I feel like from when people turn their eye on the homeless population, they're turning their eye on the mental health crisis in New York City, and they're also turning their eye, turning a blind eye to the drug crisis that's happening here in, in New York City. So it's not something that oh, if we fix homelessness, then you know everything will be fixed. It's like no, there, this needs to be a multifaceted yeah. approach. A lot needs to happen for us to fix these issues. Secondly, like New York is not nearly as liberal as people think it is. Like, oh yeah. There's we have pockets. We vote yeah. quite liberally, but like if you get if you go to Staten Island, Staten Island is as red as no, it gets. No, I meant like I'm talking about Manhattan for sure, <laughs> and I'm only talking as a woman and my experiences. So obviously, yeah. I can't talk for anybody else's experience. But I will say, as a woman, there's definitely like Ireland is definitely oh my god, it's changed so much. It's getting mm-hmm. so it's getting so better. But I would definitely feel you know what though, hypocritically, I'm trying to think. I would say uh, New York is less misogynist, but then that's not true because I have friends who've worked in situations or uh, I guess I felt like it was more jokes about women or slapping your arse or you weren't really assaulted or you were just a little drunk. You know, I I definitely those conversations happen a lot at home, um, whereas I don't hear here. But then then I also get cackled here, which or I wouldn't get cackled in Ireland. So I guess... That's a cultural thing, though. Yeah, and I also feel like um, I, I hate talking about the cat call thing because it seems hacky to just be like, I've never, it was such a novelty to me, so I didn't mind it as much. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize it was everybody getting cat called, and I was like, oh, they're looking great <laughs> you today. It was just you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, my experience, I felt like um, more, uh, you know, people understanding women's issues here in New York personally. But then again, Ireland has gotten so progressive regarding abortion rights and everything. So when I've been out of Ireland a while, it's it's totally flipped on its head and they're they're talking more about sex education and stuff like this. So so my country is get get coming up. But but I only meant in regards to that I, I forget about like places in the south that probably don't even talk about or, or abortion is le- illegal. Like that's wild to me. And I, I forget yeah. that there's that's like out of I can't even understand it sometimes. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? That's out yeah. of this world to me. Yeah, it's easy to to live in that bubble. Uh, I travel a lot during comedy, yeah. so it's I don't have that luxury anymore. I, I used to be the person who thinks, "Oh, New York is this," and the rest of the city or the rest of the country looks similarly to this. Yeah. But that's truly not the case. Uh, and I noticed that when you are a minority, I don't nece- I don't necessarily mean a minority like. Uh, racially when you're like a party minority so like if you're a liberal person going to a conservative Mm -hmm. space uh this idea that like like in new york city specifically when i say there's a lot of conservatives here there are tons of conservatives here they're just they just whisper right they're they're just not as loud and uh, and brash about their views because they understand that they are not the majority here whereas when you go to conservative places conservative voices are much louder because they know it's a safer space to speak on those issues. And then if you're a liberal person in those conservative spaces, you're the person whispering like, oh, I can't believe there's burning books over here. And it's like, no, and it's so it's so true because we went to Houston and Houston would be quite liberal compared to Texas. But firstly, when I did my jokes about guns, it's yeah. the first time that that they were like, uh-uh. yeah, even them, they were up. so liberal. They were like, no, no. And I was like, yeah. all right. And then secondly, when we were getting food before and it was me and Chansu um, they so for the listeners, she's not a white woman. Uh, there was a group of guys, and now there were two white guys and uh, two Latin men, uh, and they were both they were four, all four talking about like uh, how they would love to execute Bernie, like all politics should should be taken out, and then. Uh, then Wait, the, hold on. The two white dudes and the two Latin and dudes? and the two Latin dudes, and the Latin guy said something about how he's pro Trump, and then yeah. the white guy said, "I think we should execute them all," uh, yeah. and it was just like. Chansu was like, if this is any other country, like you can get in jail. But it was so loud. They were shouting it. And it was graphic what he was talking about, the execution. Like it was, she was like, let's go, let's go. And like, you know, and there's the other thing as well, where my race does 100% benefit me because she's kind of going, I don't want them to look at me and see a Muslim woman. Yeah. You know, and or, you know, so she's like, let's get, you know, and I was like, yeah, let's get out of here because they look at me. They won't hear an accent unless they come up and talk to me. Um, And they might think shitty things about women but you know they might just go oh looks like you know and that, that those are things where that, that i had a privilege in that situation yeah I'm, i mean i kind of get jealous sometimes because you are exposed to people's true behaviors and their true nature when it comes to race far more than the average black person is right so like when like you're gonna see and hear things 
that are racially insensitive far more often than I will as a six foot six, 230 pound black person, right? Uh, but right, it's, it's not often that people are like, hey, look at this. You know, I'm like, come on, you're not going to say that in front of me. But uh, you are are in a privileged position and whereas you get to hear and see stuff like that. Uh, and you're so much you're so much more informed of the realities of America's current condition. Uh, and, you know, black people oftentimes we speculate. We're like, oh, this person's probably this. And then we're also, you know, rudely informed by uh, very overt confrontational racism as well. Yeah. So it's uh, it's such a dangerous world that we live in because, like, yeah. uh, you can we can't I can't look at a person and be like, oh, that person's probably racist, yeah. right? But um, people can always look at me and be like, that person's definitely black. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good point to make because I think um, what you said earlier when white Americans are like. Um, or white people in general when they're like I don't understand this actually you probably understand it more because you've heard your uncle say that racist thing or you've right. heard or whatever so that, that's a really really good point to make and they think it's harmless I think like that's one of the biggest misunderstandings about how we view race in America I see it as pure evil I think when people are racist they're like you're an evil person right mm -hmm. I think there's nothing more harmful to exercise against another person than that type of prejudice, right? Yeah. Whereas a lot of people who have racist views, they just see him as like a preference. It's like, oh no, I, they, they look at racism the way many people look at ordering food at Chipotle. It's like, I just prefer white rice. And it's like, no, it's not a preference. Yeah. It's, it's actual hate. That it's is actual literally sinister. racism because yeah. you're basing a person off the color of their skin. It's sinister. It's like truly malicious. It's yes. truly evil. And people just don't want to have that reckoning. They don't want to deal with that 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 evil. And it's, it's amazing because oftentimes they're religious. It's like, you you really think you're going to go to heaven yeah. and think it's just going to be like... Oh, the religion thing is wild because you'll, you'll hear some things from extreme Christians yeah. and you'll hear Islamophobia and their complaints are, oh, well, you know, women's... And you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You've oppressed your own women. You also don't have sex before. You're like throwing all their beliefs when you're it's actually quite you you actually should be meeting on a level ground being like okay we believe in a, a bigger force and oh we both believe in no sex before marriage oh look yeah. at us you know what do you yeah getting mad at getting mad at them uh for when i was younger i used to think that this is something that we could wait out right yeah. we could think that maybe it'll go away generationally right yeah. it's like all right our first generation was super racist and then every generation will be a little less racist than that but we're we're like you know dozens of generations in at this yeah. point right from the conception of america so as many generations have come and gone and we're still dealing with racism not like it's a not like it's like a another thing it's like one of the forefront things that we have to discuss in america every every yeah. year every day it's something that never misses a day on the news right yeah. we're always talking about racism um, but we're never fixing it, yeah. <laughs> right? We're just talking about it. There's no real concerted effort to fix it or to make changes. And I think that's because the reason there has been not um, enough progress with race is because we're, we're still teaching, we're still teaching and indoctrinating our youth yeah. to have these ideas that are just like, it's propaganda and it's not true and it's harmful. So we don't want to confront our, our history on race here in America. Like in Germany, you can't go, you can't come up through school without having an understanding of what Germans have done to Jews, yeah. right? Whereas in America... Which is really, re I always, every time there's a German guy in the audience, because yeah. automatically when you find out he's German, Americans are like, boo, or like, right. I'm like, shut up. I'm sorry. I'm like, they, he, they teach their history right. You guys don't. No, I, I have to call it like they're doing the work. Yeah. It's like being in therapy, right? Germans are doing the yeah. work. They're in therapy. They're healing. They're doing what's supposed yeah. to be done. And they're also, you, they're also in good faith doing their best to repair and repay yes. the ones who were hurt through that atrocity. Whereas Americans are like the complete opposite. We're like taking out african-american history in our textbooks we're doing everything we can to gaslight african-americans like no it was it was so long ago and it's not that bad anymore so it's it's the complete opposite of what you would think a culture would be doing to fix something if they wanted to mm -hmm. right if they wanted to if america really wanted to make change uh we have all the resources we have all the information to do it 
uh, unfortunately, it's because it's going to become more and more difficult the more politically divided we are about the issue because it's not just about race anymore. And now it's about race and party affiliation and who you're going to vote for and do you like cops and do you not like cops? It's like a whole thing that's bundled up into this racial conversation. Absolutely. We have to go in a second. <laughs> I do want to say one thing, though, that yeah. you said earlier about not having arguments with people. Mm. Um, and I do feel like any of my friends who are not white, their big thing is exhausted educating yeah. people. Um, uh, and I, I, the only experience that's not the same, but just for like uh relating that I thought about when you said that, you know, when the guy who who did something like sexually assaulty to me, my guy friend was like, you know, did you talk to him? Did you let him know? And I was like, he doesn't see women as equal. He doesn't yeah. see why would I why is that on me to educate him and to teach him that I am equal and that that shouldn't have happened? Mm -hmm. And I already know from the way he treats women, the way he talks women and the way he treats his own partner. So I was like that responsibility shouldn't be put on me. And I think you know, that's uh, from what I hear from my friends who are not white. That's how they feel. Uh, but they're dealing. That's just one situation, one experience as a ma as a woman with a man, because women are sick of having to educate yes. men. And yeah. I think that you guys are dealing with that situation on a daily basis. For so, sure. Yeah, so it's exhausting. Yeah. Um, and if, if he wanted to change, he would. Yeah. It's like it's also like you talk to him. So I yeah. ask him, you're welcome. You can say my name. You can say what happened. And you talk to him because yeah. he's going to fucking listen to you. You think he's going to listen to me when he treats his own partner like shit? Yeah. Is this that, how am I? That you you as a man, he'll feel embarrassed if you say it's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a situation with my friend who was not white and there was a guy definitely being fucking, uh, it, it, it was racist. It was like no need for it. It was uncomfortable. And I only found out afterwards how he brought her up on stage. He, because he kept saying he couldn't pronounce her name. He couldn't pronounce her name. It was like 11 times. I could hear it out of the corner of my ear, but someone was talking to me. And I kind of thought, should I interrupt him? But I don't want to be a white savior. You know, I don't want to make a big deal if, if that makes her more uncomfortable. Afterwards, she told me that he brought her up on stages. And now I had been headlining that night. We were just doing an extra show. He brought her up on stages. I don't know how to fucking say her name. Give no. it up for her. Yeah. So I, when she told me that, I say, how do you want me to handle this situation? do you want me in those situations to say something to him? Uh, and she said, when he was saying my name, if that ever happens again, I want you to, I'm exhausted uh, sticking up for myself. And I said, perfect. So I went to the manager over, you know, for like, you know, not just for her, for myself too, because I was kind of like, I didn't know how to handle the situation at the time. Um, and I was like, you need to talk to him because, you know, firstly, we, you know, I fucking got you guys a lot of money tonight. And yeah. secondly, that should never happen. And he was like, absolutely. I'm so sorry. Now, thankfully, the, the manager was not a white man either. Not, <laughs> neither, neither guys. One was Latin, one was black. Yeah. And they were like, we gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but like, it just, yeah, it was one of those situations where I didn't know what was the right course of action. In that situation, she was like, yes, next time, tell him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you can stop your conversation and turn around. You did the right thing. I think any effort is good. Just don't be complicit. Yes. Don't be complicit. And like, that's a big deal for, for women, especially because a lot of times, you know, when you stand by a person, when you, whether you're married to them or if it's your boyfriend or whatever, it's it's kind of understood that you guys are together and you guys are going to stand together on issues. So, yeah. like Hitler was married. Yeah. Like terrible people have terrible spouses in their corner. Like exactly. terrible people. So just don't be that person. Don't be complicit. If you hear a person say something terrible, uh, you're just as bad if you say nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I truly feel that way. Yeah, and like if it's your friend, ask how do you want me to deal with these situations? Right. What do you want me to do? What would be make you more comfortable? Um, we do have to go because Pat is like, time is up, Katie. <laughs> uh, make sure to follow Pat, and we always have his details in the description. Follow Sign him up to the home. Patreon. Your uh, yeah, follow him home. I'm my yeah. you know. Um, Can't call him equality. Um, <laughs> what? Where can people find you? What's your Instagram and your uh, podcast? Uh, at Leclerc. Wait. Yeah, at Leclerc Andre on Instagram, uh, on TikTok. I think I, I am Leclerc or Leclerc Comedian. I don't know. Nothing is uniform. But I have a podcast called Darkest Hour. Uh, Katie is on it, and she is the best and the funniest. And you guys should check that out as well. And we didn't get to our uh, dating dilemma, but I will use save that next week for the guests. Or maybe I'll do it on the Patreon. Sign up to Patreon forward slash the shift podcast. We did cover an ick, though, so that's cool. Got the icks. Yeah, our ick is also fucking don't be an arsehole to other people. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. The ick led into a very political conversation. Yes. And don't be gross and educate yourself. Yeah. And love you. Bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.